We thank you for joining us for a new episode of True Wisdom. And both Andrew and I welcome you, and I welcome Andrew. And I welcome Rob. We give great thanks for you for joining us today as uh, we continue to dig into the Word and discover what true wisdom really is. Now, we, we've had wise people throughout our lives. We consider them wise because what they've been able to accomplish. But what is the differentiating factor? What can we determine to be true wisdom? Um, all truth is of God. So true wisdom is wisdom that, that originates from God. In fact, you would say that all real wisdom, all wisdom that is actually wisdom and not taking it, comes from God. But if you go through too many filters, right, a lot of worldly wisdom, for, for instance, is clouded. It may be, it may have a spark of that which God originated, but it, it gets caught up in earthly philosophies, et cetera, and so on. So true wisdom is wisdom in its purest form that's available to us, right? Um, as opposed to wisdom that's filtered through, you know, different problems, different, different philosophers. There are a lot of philosophers who have lived on this planet that say some pretty intelligent things. Sometimes they're like 98% good, 80% good, eh, mostly good except for X. Uh, the closer it is to the word of God, the purer the wisdom that you will get from it. Mm. And so that leads us to our theme verse. Yes, it does. It leads us. Yeah, we, we definitely need prayer. <laughs> um, it leads us to our theme verse, which is Proverbs chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. And it tells us, give instruction to a wise man, and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 9, 9 and 10. All right, so um, let me go ahead and pray to start, and then we could dive into the devotion. Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, bringing us to this place where we can study your word, not just Andrew and I, but we can share with others, and they can continue to ask us questions and prayerfully receive the answers that they need to move forward in life. Be with us as we study and hope to open our eyes. Amen. All right. What shall we cover today? Let's go to Exodus, and we're going to look at chapter 18. Okay, Exodus 18. And we're going to start at verse 1. Starting at verse 1. All right. When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of which the name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien in a strange land, 
And the name of the other was Eliezer. For the God of my father, said he, was mine help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses in the wilderness, where he encamped at the Mount of God. And okay. He, mm-hmm. So we learned from this, we learned from this several things. Um, one, although it wasn't stated anywhere else, um, Moses had returned his wife. He came, remember, he came out with his wife early on. Um, but once he realized all of this conflict that was going on in Egypt and dealing with Pharaoh, he sent his, his family back to his father-in-law and came and dealt with all of the issue. And now that they have left Egypt, now that they've departed from Egypt, uh, there now they, his father-in-law comes with his uh, family. Okay? Okay. So that's one of the, the key things that we learn. Um, and he, he, we learned the names of his uh, children, and he named them as a remembrance of what his situation was and where he was. All right. Okay. Verse 6. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law Jethro, am come unto thee and thy wife and her sons, her two sons with her. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did absence and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare. And they came into the tent. Okay, pause a second. Um, verse 6 is kind of phrased in a funny way. <laughs> yeah. And without verse 7, you wouldn't understand what happened. Because why would he have to say, I, thy father-in-law Jethro, am come unto thee? Well, I, I found it interesting in verses 1 through 5, he mentioned the fact that Jethro was the father-in-law four times. I mean, mm-hmm. that's very interesting. Well, he's trying to, you know, Moses is writing this. He writes a lot like Luke does, or we should say the reverse. Luke writes a lot like Moses did. Um, very detailed, very verbose in a lot of places. Uh, the the thing is that in verse 6, Jethro is not speaking to Moses. Jethro is speaking to a messenger to deliver a message. Right, him. right. And that's why verse 7 says, and he Moses went, went out. out. Right. Yeah, but they're very emphatic that Jethro, when Jethro, then Jethro. Yeah, but, you know, I just, right. But then they keep saying Moses' father-in-law. We, we established that in verse 1, and yet by the time you get to verse uh, 5, he said it four different times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, verse 8. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hands of the Egyptians. 
And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dwelt proudly, he was above them. Interesting now, statement. Now pause a second. Mm-hmm. Pause a second. Um, the now I know, when you see that phrase in the Bible, it is often accompanied by people who you were certain knew before. In fact, in Genesis 22, remember that the Lord says when Abraham um, was going to offer up Isaac, now I know that thou carest God. Now I know doesn't mean I have now become aware. It means the truth of this matter is certified. It's locked in. There's no doubting the situation at hand. Mm, okay. Okay. You see what I'm saying? There are times the context may allow now I know to be, oh, I didn't understand before. But even... We did a story before, even when the the widow of Zarephath says, now I know that thou art a prophet of God. It's like, no, you, you knew that, but now there's zero doubt about the role of this messenger and his relationship to God. It's not a, I have just become aware of, it is, oh, I have no doubt that X and Y and Z is true. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, Uh, verse 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came, and all the elders of Israel, to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And it came pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning until even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another. And I do make them known the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Now, pause a second. Moses, remember later, when Moses um, complains that, that the work is too hard for him and the Lord says, sure, I'll pour, pick 70 people and I'll put some of my spirit upon them. Mm-hmm. He says, he, he essentially quotes this at that time. Mm-hmm. Too heavy for me, I cannot bear it alone. Now, that would, if you only knew those two stories, you would tend to think that Jethro it kind of put him in a mindset that he wasn't able to do something or that what he was given was too hard for him. 
And what I especially want us to cover today is that that's not true. Moses' later misappropriation of this quote does not invalidate the good that Jethro did here. Mm, okay. Okay. Because the area in which, and we'll we'll go to the council in a second, but I'm kind of setting the stage for it. The area in which, um, if you look at the nature of the council that was given to Moses here, it did not take away or diminish the responsibility that Moses had. Whereas what Moses asked for was a relinquishing or reducing of the responsibility that he had by having other people be involved in the sharing of it. But if you look at what's being shared here, it doesn't diminish, um, it doesn't diminish Moses' responsibility at all. In fact, what Jethro's telling him is, Moses, you are responsible for this nation as a whole. You cannot get caught up in the weeds. You are in charge of the forest. Right, right, right. Good point. That I find it interesting, and I don't know if you're going to cover this, but I find it interesting mm-hmm. that it didn't come directly from God, that it came from uh-huh. someone who was not uh-huh. even an Israelite. Uh-huh. Well, well, we are going to cover that because that is an important part of, of everything. Um, well, let's, let's go through the council. Mm-hmm. Verse 19, hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, mm -hmm. Right. So, um... Jethro is not inserting worldly wisdom here. Jethro says, you have a responsibility to be the face of God to these people, to intercede to God for these people. Okay? And so what I'm, the counsel I'm giving you is a God-focused counsel. You should check with God just to validate that this counsel is God-focused. I'm not distracting you, I'm not hyping you up, I'm not taking you off the path that you're on. Your primary responsibility, primary responsibility is to teach them the ordinances and the laws and show them the way that they must walk and the way that they must work. Okay? All right. And then the secondary piece. Secondary piece is uh, verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee. But every small matter they shall judge, so shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee, 
So then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. You you paused on the so then differently than the punctuation. Ah, good point. For some reason I didn't see the comma. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall go to their place in peace. So even though he's giving okay. advice, he's saying, uh-huh. double check with God. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the he is not superseding or countermanding or undermining God in any way with this counsel because he's making sure Moses goes back and checks. And notice the objective. The objective is you will be able to endure and the people shall go to their place in peace. Because you've got the people standing up all day waiting for their turn to get some small thing answered. Mm-hmm. Possibly small thing. Right? It might be large. Because it's a disservice no matter how you look at it. Right? You can have 50 people in a line, and I'm sure it was more than 50 because everybody's got to get before Moses to get their stuff answered. Let's say that you've got 500 people for the day. Eh, let's, let's be fair. Um, he, he did it from morning until the end of the day. So he's basically doing this from 6 to 6. Okay? There's 60 minutes in an hour. Let's say that it takes two minutes for the person to ask their question, one minute for their question to be answered, right? That means that you can get 20 of those done. You're basically using up three minutes to service each person. You can get 20 people done in in an hour. 20 okay? done in an hour? No. No, 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 no. Why not? You're being way too... That's way too quick. 20 people done in an hour. That's five minutes minutes per person. Three minutes per person. To shuffle up there, give their description, pray about it, get an answer for God and relay it? Okay, fine. Let's let's say that it's 10 10 minutes each person. 10 minutes each person, six six an hour. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, ten, ten. So you do six an hour, and you're doing it for twelve hours. You're servicing seventy-two people for the day <laughs> out of a million, right? And, <laughs> and that's assuming that it's one person each issue. You might have multiple people in an issue, and therefore, and you hope it still stays within the ten minutes. Okay, but but let's say that that's what what's going on. So you've got a bunch of people in the front of the line that are asking something trivial. And again, I'm not diminishing the nature of the people's request. It may be important. It's going. It's important to them. They're willing to stand up out there. It's important to them, right? But let's say that the 70th person has some critical thing. They're not getting. They, they stood up there from from six o'clock in the morning, and they're not getting their thing answered until five fifty. In the evening. Right. Right? That's not efficient for any of the people. Nope. Nope. 
So not hmm. efficient for any of the systems. So yeah. he um, he offers a much better way to go about this. And it does make sense. And when you think about it, um, that's pretty much the way the court has done all in the you know in the country of America, even within the different states is yeah. each county has a courthouse and they deal with local stuff. And if they have to, they go up to a, a supreme or a superior court of the state. And then that goes up to a superior court of the country. It's the exact same. Well, and, and there are even more levels, but basically, yeah, because there, there are municipal courts within there. Right. right. So right, right. you have each, each um, county has one. And, each and then there's city a district court. Yeah. Right, there's a district court, and then it, there are multiple layers, and then you get the the supreme court of a state, and then you go up to the different levels, and then you get the supreme court of the nation. Right. And so you can have plenty of courts of court cases going on, rather than one guy <laughs> who you got to call <laughs> for the whole country right. to ask a question. That's very true. Now, you, you mentioned how, um, well, let's continue. Let's go, we're near the end. So let's. Uh, so we're at 24. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons, the hard cases they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. Mm-hmm. Now, why did God allow Moses to get this information this way? Why didn't God just say, hey, listen, when you go back down there, that standing in line thing is tedious. Do X. Yeah, I can't answer that. I've always asked that question. God seeks to teach us that even when we are highly favored, even when we're highly favored, even when we're blessed, even when we have direct communication from God, we are not above receiving instruction from someone else with experience or perspective, or just who happens to be in the ready. Okay? The key thing is, because we've had we've had circumstances where people purport to be speaking for the Lord to somebody who gets direct information from the Lord, but the important thing was that Jethro said that Moses should check that it was counsel of God. Yep. Okay? Moses, think about it. Think about being the guy who speaks to God face to face. Now, we're, we're only in Exodus 18, so we haven't had the Mount Sinai experience, and we haven't had the, um, the cleft of the rock experience, but Moses is already in pretty close communication with God because we have gotten out of Egypt. The plagues have fallen. The, con- the, the, the conflict with Pharaoh did occur. Right. So even though two of the greater um, miracles and interactions have not yet shown up, 
a lot of interactions have already shown up. Mana has already started to fall as of two chapters ago. So Moses is tight with God in a way that nobody else is. Okay? Um, and yet, God makes sure that someone else comes to him with this information. Does that mean that God was trying to hint to Moses and he wasn't getting it sense of human? I don't know. I'm not willing to say that. The Bible doesn't say enough for me to conclude that. But what, what we can conclude is that God was willing to let Moses know this from a different angle than the normal channel. And Moses was receptive enough to hear the counsel and be willing to check to see if he, could, if he should execute the counsel. Now, the Bible does not say point blank that he did everything, but it does say that he did everything. In verse 24, it says, so Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And then they go on to enumerate some things. But since they said that they did that he did all, the enumeration does not have to be complete. The fact that the enumeration leaves out the checking with God is not material. Because in 24, it says he hearkened unto his father-in-law's voice and did all that the father-in-law said. And the father-in-law was pretty pointed at the beginning and the end of that conversation to say, check with God. And to be fair, this was not a relationship that just sprung up when he showed up here. He did tend the man's flock for 40 years. So they did have a relationship. Um, And so that's another thing to consider. You, You don't always have to, as soon as someone walks up to you and says... I feel this over your life. You're, okay, that's great. Let me just run ahead and do it. No. Um, it's it's fair to have a relationship with a person where you can believe what they say, know that they're coming from God, and then go check with God yourself. Right. Well, I would, I would argue that the nature of the relationship makes the question of whether or not Moses checked with God in the absence of a verbatim, and Moses asked God, and, Lord, and the Lord said yes. I would argue that the nature of the relationship makes it sketchier whether or not he would have asked God. Like, it's harder for us to tell. But the wording of verse 24 makes it plain that Moses hearkened 100%, not Moses did mostly what Jethro said. So we can take from 24 that he does, in fact, check with the Lord. Um, and, And the fact that Jethro was very insistent about him checking with the Lord is important because because Jethro counsels him not from a place of efficiency, which is how I'd often looked at it. But if you look at the wording, he says to him, he says to him, um, what are you doing in verse 14? And when he, te- when Moses tells him, verse 17 says, as Moses and Moses' father-in-law said unto him, the thing that thou doest is not good. He didn't say it's inefficient. He said it's not good. Well, and that, that would seem strong. Right? That would mm-hmm. seem strong. But does anyone think that Moses would have lasted 40 years in the wilderness trying to cover 72 people a day <laughs> in discussions all day? Uh, he barely lasted as it was, and that's after he made the change, so no. 
It was wise counsel. Yeah. It really was. Yeah, it was. It was super wise counsel, and it shows that God is willing to work. God is a God of order, so he he always seeks to institute order. That's that's an important lesson. Another important lesson is that even when you are the most highly favored person of God on the planet at that time, God can still speak to someone else to give you counsel. You should check with God, but don't think that. What are you talking about? I was up on the mountain yesterday and God didn't say anything about that. We should never get to that place. Um, The other thing that I like about how Jethro did this is Jethro stood by and saw all that happened, right? Verse 14, and when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, what is this thing that thou doest? He did not just say, what nonsense is this? You should be, and he's like, "Um, what were you doing? (laughs) Like, give him a chance to say, let him say, because you can only be sure that the council is going to be effective when you understand the reasoning behind the activity that warrants the council. Right, right. That is true. Okay. So lots, lots of lessons. And you see that this gets implemented here and it never leaves. Never, ever, ever leaves. Now, if I had to ask you, since I've kind of given it away, more so by saying what I just said, um, how do we know that God sponsored this this wise counsel of um, of Jethro? What would be your biblical proof that this was God-inspired counsel? Because it worked. There was no evidence. There was no statement, and God was displeased. There was no evidence of mm-hmm. them being punished because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seemed to have worked. Those are all good answers. And sometimes those are the only answers we get. Like every circumstance doesn't necessarily give us positive proof. Sometimes we have to use the avoidance, the, the, um, the lack of negative proof to validate something. But what did Jesus do when he fed the multitude twice? Yeah, he broke them out into those groups. Right. So we, so in this case, not in every case, but in this case, we're given positive proof that shows that God used it, that God agreed with this counsel and was behind the giving of it. Because when Jesus had a chance to do, to take a, a larger group to deal with them, he did exactly this. He split them into smaller groups. Yeah, but even, even the statement, we're using the exact same thing today. I mean, it's it's functional, so there's no need. Oh, no, I, I agree with that. From a practical <laughs> standpoint, it, it holds up, right? Right. From a practical standpoint, it holds up. And and um, to be clear, sometimes that's what you have to rely on. Okay. Sometimes that's what you rely on. You rely on the fact that there were no negative repercussions recorded for it. There was no negative statement about it. There were no adverse effects observed, right? You can use all, there were positive effects observed. It seems practical even today. All of those are good answers. But in this case, we get even the best answer, which was we saw God directly command it or we saw God directly use it. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whenever you get, whenever you have the the best option, then that's the best proof option. Um, but yes, it is practical even today. Our militaries run on the same process, and many forms, many aspects of government run on the same process. You will find it easier to manage a group of five or ten thousand if you break them into smaller groups with with people in charge of fives, tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands. Right. I guess those are the final words on the topic. Those are the final words. Excellent. So why don't you go ahead and pray us out, and then we'll close. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your mercy and your goodness to us. We thank you for proof from your word that uh, you like order. You told us that you're a God of order, and you show us by instituting order whenever possible. It's so interesting to see how this council, given, oh, probably 3,500 years ago, it's so rock solid today um, that it can still, it's still effective. We ask you to help us as we study your word, that we will seek to glean all of the lessons that you give us in the, both in the spiritual realm and practical application for regular civilian life. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, and please bless us in this work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, thank you for listening to Andrew and I on this the, uh, devotion topic. And uh, we pray that it blesses you. But if you have any questions about it, or I should say, and if you have any questions about it, email us, truewisdom at spaceage-llc.com. Um, you could also reach us on Twitter at truewisdom underscore pod. And... Um, you could also find more information on Andrew's um, podcast entitled Rightly Divide the Word of Truth, and it can be found at BibleStudy.ASBZone.com. All right, we thank you for listening once again, and we pray you will be blessed.